If you take God's precious word and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 16 through 18 tonight. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 16 through 18. The title of the message is Sins Masquerade. Sins Masquerade. This chapter has been giving us some uh, great insight into sins of passion. Solomon's been warning young men about falling into the trap of fornication. And God designed young men with a strong desire to find a woman, to find a mate. But as with everything God designs, Satan always seeks to corrupt that design. And he, he wants to turn, and is very successful at turning, the holy institution of marriage into something that's foul and harmful. Sexual sins are sins of passion. They're sins that are associated with a strong physical and emotional attraction. So the wisdom we glean concerning the sin of fornication tonight, <clears throat> it will apply to all sins of passion. In the previous verses, we saw how the adulterous woman sought to justify her sin by making it appear like, well, God help me find you. This is an answer to my prayer. You know, you're God's gift to me. And, and just try to drag God's name into it and, and make it all a religious thing, you know, that she found this young man. And, and, uh, uh, but it's a lie. And here's the kingdom truth. Prayer will never convince God to give you something wrong. Prayer will never convince, no matter how hard you pray about it, prayer will never convince God to give you something wrong. So if you're praying about, you know, either an adulterous relationship or something that you know the Bible says is wrong, and you pray, 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 and you get up and you think, you know what, I think, I think this is God's will. It's not. Your prayer did not change God's mind, I assure you. And with that in mind, we'll now move forward to chapter 7 tonight, where this married woman continues her attempt to talk this young man into this adulterous relationship with her. In verse 16, she tells him, and we're going to get into the mind of the adulteress. Look into her mind. In verse 16, she says, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry. Now, in verse 16, you might want to underscore, I have decked my bed with coverings. I have decked my bed with coverings. She was trying to talk this young man into coming over to her house and getting into bed with her. The problem was that was another man's house. That was another man's bed. That was another man's wife. If this man were to get into this bed, it would be a crime against God. He had no business being in this woman's bed. And the very thought of a man desecrating another man's home and committing such a personal infringement 
in violation of this man's intimate space in life, it should turn our stomachs. It should turn every person's stomach. Just the suggestion that she's making this young man to this young man should have turned his stomach. The problem is it's difficult for our fallen flesh to see sin the way God sees it. So let me try to help. I have a ballistic vest that I have to wear at work. So I go in and I got my gun belt, put my gun belt on. I got my ballistic vest. I slip it over my head. I strap it, Velcro it, zip it up, and I wear it every single day. Every single day. All day long I wear that vest. Brother Shepherd wears one all day long. Uh, inside or outside the uniform? Inside the uniform, yeah. Uh, mine's outside the uniform. But I, I, I eat in that vest. I work in that vest. If I'm tired... And sometimes on my break, I might take a nap in that vest. And you know what happens in the summertime, Miss Glenda? You'll really appreciate this, being the fine lady you are. Sometimes I sweat in that vest. I do. I sweat in it. That vest is very personal to me. And a while back, I came to work and I was in a hurry to, you know, get geared up and everything. And... and uh, and I accidentally grabbed another man's vest. And I put it on. And by how that thing didn't fit, I knew immediately that that was not my vest. And the fact that I had donned another man's vest on me was just disgusting feeling. Ugh. The thought of me being surrounded by that man's body fluid and dandruff and little crumbs from all the snacks he eats all day. It grossed me out, and I quickly pulled that thing off. He's a fine man, but that vest is personal to him and too personal for me to wear. Now, let me ask you all this, and I'm not trying to go too far with this. I'm really trying to help you understand. How many of you all right now would feel comfortable if you was over spending night with another person and maybe you was out of town or something, and, and uh, uh, you realized you didn't pack everything you needed. How many of y'all would feel comfortable wearing another person's underwear while you was out of town? I don't see a hand going up anywhere. I don't see a hand going up anywhere. And, and we're giggling about it because the idea of it seems so crazy far out there. I mean, we'd just make a trip to Walmart, right? That's what we would do. I'll shake your hand, but I'm not going to wear your underwear. That's too personal to the other man. And the thought of entering into something that is so intimate and personal to another man is disgusting, or another woman is disgusting. How much more disgusting then should it be to enter into another man's wife in another man's bed? You see? The, you know how those little kids laugh so innocently like? If, if a woman were to invite, a married woman were to invite a man over to her house, you know what he, how he should respond? <laughs> You're kidding, right? That's the way we should see that. Same way we saw putting on our friend's underwear for over three hours. Not going to happen. Here's a kingdom truth. Because sin is disgusting business the devil covers it with lovely things because sin is a disgusting business the devil 
covers it with lovely things. She said, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry. Beautiful tapestry. We've all seen it. With beautiful tapestry, she covered the ugliness of her sin. Tapestry is cloth with carved out little pretty designs and things like that in it. Which is why she said, if you look back in your text, she said, with carved works, you see. That, that is the, the, the beautiful designs that are carved into the cloth. These beautiful figurines were carved into the spread that covered the bed of sin. In the eyes of a righteous and holy God, that bed appeared as theft. Because he was stealing something that belonged to that woman's husband, her. It had the appearance of unfaithfulness and betrayal. It had the appearance of the violation of a covenant and the pollution of holy matrimony. But in an effort to justify their sins, people have a way of covering them with carved works. That's how we apply this across the board to all of our sins, but especially the sins of passion here. Anytime you try to justify doing what God's Word says is wrong, anytime you try to make something that's disgusting in the eyes of God, that's an abomination to God, I'll give you a good covering right here. Everybody loves a rainbow. And they'll take that beautiful rainbow and as... As, as carved works of tapestry, they'll try to cover the wicked sin of homosexuality. It's tapestry covering a bed of adultery and fornication and all types of licentiousness. But anytime you try to do what God's Word says is wrong, you're just covering your ugly sin with tapestry of carved works. She said, I have covered my bed. You know what that bed represented? Sin. Sin. You know, when someone's dying on a bed, what do you call that? You call it a deathbed. This is a sin bed. And she's taking the tapestry, which everybody loves to look at, and she's covering the sin with it. And that's just what humans do. She said, I've covered my bed, look back in your text, with fine linen of Egypt. Underscore the word fine. The fine linen is only the best. Here's a kingdom truth. People spread the finest linen upon the foulest things. People spread the finest linen upon the foulest things. When Eve committed the very first sin, you remember what the Bible says? When she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now think about it. Good, pleasant, wise. Who has any issues with that? Nobody does. Do you know what good, pleasant, and wise were? That was her mind taking a tapestry of carved works in taking her fine linen and putting on the foulest thing. And with that tapestry of carved works, the carved works of goodness, pleasantness, and wisdom, 
She covered that foul tree, that foul fruit, and with that covering, partook of the sin that destroyed the world. People cover the foulest things with the finest coverings. What she did was neither good nor pleasant nor wise. She spread that fine linen upon that foul thing. Every year, Hollywood actors create films that are filled with foul language, violence, murder, theft, fornication, nudity. And that promotes all types of sins that are completely against God's Word. And each year, they give out awards for that production. The award glamorizes the sin. They get all dressed up. They got all the media there taking photos of them. They walk that red carpet. They drive the finest cars there. They give out the awards for the filth they produced. The award glamorizes the sin. Do you know what the award's doing? It's spreading the finely linen of Egypt upon it. The adulteress said, verse 17, Here's another good reason for the man to come over. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Well, that's a good reason to commit adultery. Let me tell you something. I have perfumed my bed. I, I, I put coverings of tapestry on it. I put the fine linen of, linens of Egypt on it. I put perfume and myrrh and aloe and cinnamon on that bed. Think about it. Friend, you can cover up sin all you want to. But at the end of the day, it'll still be sin under those covers. You can dress up sin all you like, but it will still be ugly. You can cover it with the finest odors, but it will still stink. Nevertheless, this is a common tactic that the devil employs every day. Satan employs what, for the, for the sake of this message, I was trying to think of how to describe it, and I came up with this term, inequitable association. That's a good one, Brother Shepherd. We like a lot of syllables, don't we, Brother? The preachers like syllables. If it's a lot of syllables, it's got to be true. Inequitable association. Inequitable, it means something that's not equal. One doesn't equal the other, yet it's associated together, even though one doesn't equal the other. Just think about it. What does tapestry, I mean, think if you was on a game show, okay, and, and you're doing logic, you're doing a logic question. Y'all ever seen logic question like, you have this, you have this, you have this, what then comes next? Well, here you go. How about this one? Do, 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 do. Ready? Tapestry, myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Who then would say adultery? No one would. Maybe another spice. Maybe a silk garment. But not adultery. What, what, what does... Uh, tapestry, myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon have to do with adultery? Absolutely nothing. They don't have anything to do with adultery. But people admire tapestry. People like myrrh and aloe 
and cinnamon. So although these things have nothing to do with adultery, nonetheless, the devil will associate those pleasant things with this sin. What's he doing? He's hoping that people will accept the adultery based on the tapestry and spices. You see what he's doing? He's hoping people will accept the adultery based on the tapestry and spices. Here's a kingdom truth. The devil uses acceptable things to make us accept the unacceptable. I'll repeat that again. This is just what he does. The devil uses acceptable things to make us accept the unacceptable. Man, I, you all have seen him. Uh, and, and it's not acceptable for a woman to pose half-dressed. But you talk about inequitable association. Where you have a half-dressed woman, uh, used to on all these commercials, they'd put a half-dressed woman up against a car they were trying to sell. Or the type of beer they were trying to sell, or something like that. What does that have to do with anything? It's an equitable association. You like this, don't you? Okay, then buy this. Get my refrigerator. Buy this car. Has nothing to do with it. But the devil uses unacceptable things to make us accept the unacceptable. Verse 18. Look what she tells the young man next in verse 18. She says, come let us take our fill of love until the morning. Now love's acceptable, isn't it? Underline the word love. Now I want you to think about this with me for a moment. This woman is inviting this man over to her house for love. That's acceptable. I mean, what's wrong with love? The Bible says God is love. The Bible says to love your God and love your neighbor, and that those are the two greatest commandments of all. The Bible says there's no law against love. Here's the kingdom truth. Temptations will frequently use God's words in the devil's dictionary. Temptations will frequently use God's words in the devil's dictionary. Love is a holy word that describes the character of God. Fornication is an unholy love that describes the conduct of sin. This woman didn't tell the young man, Come, let us take our fill of fornication until the morning. That wouldn't sound so good, would it? It wouldn't be so attractive. She didn't say, come, let us take our fill of adultery, uncleanness, unfaithfulness, betrayal, and ungodly lust until the morning. Yuck. Those words describe the conduct of the sin they were committing. But when you read the definition in the devil's dictionary, those words are not defining the word fornication. Not in the devil's dictionary. In the devil's dictionary, those words are defining the word love. Love is the most wonderful, the most holy thing of all. And because it is, the devil's most popular sins masquerade behind the mask of so-called love. Once again, homosexuals argue that they should be able to love anyone they want to. Now, I mean, who could argue with that we should be able to love anyone we want to 
Or they'll say, love wins. You know, at the end of the day, love wins. And thus, when we preach against that, then they, they, they think that we're wrong and that we, we hate and, and they think it's considered to be an attack on love. Back in the 80s, there was a rise of a particular organization called NAMBLA. How many of y'all have heard of NAMBLA? I know Brother Shepherd has. All right. I'm not going to ask if any of y'all were members. I hope not. If you were, then we'd, we'd have a problem. But NAMBLA was an acronym for the North American Man-Boy Love Association. It was a big thing in the 80s. It was pushing for the age limit for men having sex with little boys to be abolished. No age limit at all. No restriction at all. The Man-Boy Love Association. Not the Male Pedophile Association. Not the Child Rapist Association. Not the Sexual Predator Association. But the Man-Boy Love Association. I love little boys. I love people. But man, I don't love that. That's not love. It's not love to rape a child. As Christians, we're not preaching against love. We're preaching against sin. We're preaching against ungodliness. If you love a little boy, you're not going to harm that child. As Christians, we're using God's dictionary. In God's dictionary, their actions are the definition of sin. In the devil's dictionary, their actions are the definition of love. You see how it works? This is what happens when a society ceases to view the Bible as God's authority for mankind. Here's another kingdom truth for you. When God's Bible is rejected, God's words are redefined. When God's Bible is rejected, God's words are redefined. They rejected the Bible that says that a, to a man and a boy are not to do this. They rejected that word or that, that, that Bible. And so then they took God's word, which is love, and they redefined it to match their sin. She said, look back in your text, let us solace ourselves with love. She first said, let us take our fill of love. And now she says, let's solace ourselves with love. The word translated fill in the Hebrew means to quench your desire. You have a desire, you quench it. Now that desire is satisfied. The word solace in the Hebrew it means to leap for joy. That's literally what it means. To leap for joy. And you know something? The word love in God's dictionary, it will do just that. It will quench your desire and it will make you leap for joy. Man, as Christians, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. As Christians, we are completely satisfied in the grace of God. True love does that. 
The love of my Savior thrills my heart and satisfies my soul. The love of my wife thrills my heart and satisfies my soul. That's the grace of God. But God's grace isn't found in the devil's dictionary. Not the true definition of grace. It's not there. This woman isn't defining love. She's defining sin. Which in the end will not fill your soul and make you leap for joy. It will leave you empty and sorrowful. And it will lead to death. The masquerade of sin. Don't cover your foul things with the finest coverings. Don't allow tapestry to keep you from seeing sin as it really is. With that, we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Man, what insight into sin, what insight into the psyche of the sinner. They said that they wanted to read that woman's manifesto that shot up that, um, that Christian school so they could get into her psyche. When you're reading this right here, you're reading what this woman says, you're getting into the center psyche. You're getting an inward look of how we do things so that we can catch ourselves and say, nope, that's taperings of, uh, that's a, a tapestry of, of uh, carved works. I'm not going to do that anymore. Let's go ahead and close. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such detailed insight into the thought process that goes behind planning, executing, justifying sin in our fallen hearts. I pray, Lord, that we will put no earthly covering on what you say is foul. We don't want to cover it up. Father, we want to clean it up. We want to destroy it. We want to put it out of the camp. And Father, I pray, dear Lord God, that we'll be true to you, honest with ourselves, dear Lord God. And anything that we have in our lives that's foul, we'll remove that tapestry of carved works. We'll remove the fine linen on the foul thing. We'll confess it to you. And through the blood of Christ and our repentance... From that sin, we'll have a clean conscience and be renewed in our mind again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.